Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello everyone, I'm Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind, add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's incredibly bizarre little world. As always, my darlings, we try to present our information with as much grace and empathy as can be mustered on any given day. We are not always successful, I'll admit to that, but we are honour bound to give it a shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love shots. Yes, we do. In fact, I'm going to have one right now. Ooh, that is really quite lovely. Mm. I will give you the recipe to that later on in the show. Where was I? Oh, yes, our rally cry is awaken, oh, my people. Do not follow the path of the sheeple, and do not give our God cause to weeple. If you're joining us for the first time, I extend a very warm welcome to you. Be advised, however, we do not do politically correct because we do not wish to erode our intellect. We martini heads, we're straight-talking, straightforward folk. We may be direct, but we come from a core of respect. And there's no fakery or BS here to up our numbers and get more clicks or likes, although we'd love that. But pretty much with us, what you see is what you get. We value common decency, common courtesy, common sense, soul sovereignty, And of course, our national sovereignty, because at this time in our history, national sovereignty is the last line of defense against the Luciferian totalitarian takeover. Try saying that 10 times in a hurry. On this show, my darlings, when we use labels, they're adjectives, you know, we do so for identification purposes. We are strictly non-partisan because we believe we know All parties are in the can. They're all franchises of deep state. And why? Why? Oh, our world, it has lost its moral compass. And without that moral compass, the political arena, it's nothing more than a never-ending power play, benefiting a small group of sociopaths, gorging themselves on the fat of the land, while the rest of humanity begs for scraps under tables groaning with the fruit of its own labor. And seriously, people, by now, with so many repetitions of this same scenario through the ages, 
Humanity should know better. How did we become so easily led? We're like circus animals trained to perform tricks for treats. Well, my darlings, I guess that's what this show is all about. Looking at the bigger picture, stepping outside the carefully crafted establishment narrative. And I will say it's not for the faint of heart. If you're one of the millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions who would rather sleep comfortably in the manufactured illusion, if you're content to do as you're told, eat what you're given, behave as ordered, and believe everything the daily spin churns out, this show is not for you. So do yourself a favor, move along now, because there is nothing to see. If, on the other hand, you have capacity for objective thought and wish to better understand the marvels of cosmic co-creation, if you wish to enjoy your incarnation, to get something out of it, well, you might hear something of value in the next hour. Who knows? What is life if not an adventure? And adventure means excitement, experimentation, laughs and tears and bruises, a bit of this, a bit of that, Sure, there's hazard, but that's what adventure is all about. You're curious, you're excited. Everything gets sorted out in the end. And after a really good rest on the other side in between these incarnations, we're off on another adventure. Because that's our nature. We are cosmic co-creators. We are created to create. We are space adventurers. We boldly go where no one has gone before. We find new worlds. We F them up. And then, having seen the error of our ways, we regroup and we resolve everything in the spirit of universal love. And won't that be lovely when that happens? Well, today is Wednesday, March the 3rd, 2021. And this show comes to you from Oregon in the United, uh, but perhaps not United for long, States of America. We are currently characters in a bad surrealist movie. Ascended souls keep telling me, oh, Annie, you've worked it out in the continuum. Everything's groovy in the continuum. Everything's fabulous in the continuum. And Earth's golden age is assured. Ooh, well, I guess I'll take that and I'll run with it because the alternative, quite frankly, is not worth sticking around for. The main purpose of this show is quack. Questions, answers and comments. We did this initially just to know what people are thinking and to give people who have, you know, like minded views on soul sovereignty a platform. We didn't realize it would be a sensor free platform, but a platform to share ideas. So let's get on with quack, shall we? If you would like to share the contents of your fabulous minds on this fabulous show, send me an email, oni at oniavadician.com, or send me a postcard to Cosmic Oni, P.O. Box 714. Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA, USA. And don't forget to let me know if and how you wish to be identified, or I shall be forced to refer to you as omit personal details. Okay, let's mix up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what falls out. And I'll have a little drinky poo while uh, the fishbowl does that. Because it's a magic fishbowl, it will do it on its own. All right. All right. Let's see. I have got a printout of an email here. 
And this first question comes from initials KM, who lives in the state of Washington, and asks, I have two questions. Ooh, cheeky little bugger. Okay, question one. What's the difference between meditation and prayerful contemplation? Which is more appropriate when? Um, okay, let's answer that one first. I see prayerful contemplation as a relaxed dialogue in alignment with the divine. You're mulling things over in your mind, in your mind palace, and you've asked your higher self to listen in and offer guidance as appropriate. So you're chatting with God. You know, God's listening in. It's something along the lines of, hello, God, this thing happened at work today and I don't think it went very well. Can we talk about it, please? Or, hello, God, I've been offered this new job. Or, why does my husband hate me? And you just sit there and talk about it. So that's prayerful contemplation. Um, meditation, as I teach it, and there are many forms of meditation, I believe is an exercise in calibrating the energy anatomy so that you can receive the highest information at your level of awareness and not just receive it, but also understand it. In other words, to receive and to correctly perceive. So while you focus on deep, slow breathing, that breath, the breath of the divine, it saturates your entire being with the knowledge of your true nature, overwriting error codes and restoring you to grace, or if you prefer a different set of language, restoring you to your manufacturer's default parameters. I maintain that breath meditation should be done daily, and if your energy anatomy is cleared of triggers and other disruptions daily, you will experience something which is very rare indeed in today's noisy, confused world. And that's called a functional life. So there's a lot more I could talk about, but, you know, we've only got an hour. But I do believe in April I have a cosmic conversation which deals exactly with the differences between prayerful meditation, a prayerful contemplation and meditation. And I don't know when it is or anything, but go to my website and it will tell you. Okay, what's your second question, KM? Um, I've been reading and sometimes participating in discussions between people who are aware of deep state and people who are not, mostly because I think it's important to understand the viewpoints of both sides of any discussion. I try in my mind to make sure I can speak to arguments put forth by both sides. Anyway, long story short, I've run across this a couple of times and I don't have a solid answer. Trump is fighting back against deep state. Vaccinations are part of the deep state's agenda. Trump was supportive of vaccinations and Operation Warp Speed was his. Do you have any comments on this? KM, I can't pretend to tell you I know the details of why he said what, where and why. This is an information war and misinformation is the main weapon. And the world of politics is a swamp. And when you splash about in the filth with the swamp monsters, you might have to play some of their filthy games. If you recall, and I'm sure you do, Trump suggested hydroxychloroquine as a safe and effective treatment for the laboratory made infection known as COVID-19. And he was correct, by the way. And his su suggestion, it was supported by thousands of medical doctors who used it effectively. Or I should say Trump supported the doctors who used it effectively. So 
I can't imagine that Trump doesn't know that COVID-19 is what it is. And I can't imagine that he doesn't know what is in the inoculation because it's not an inoculation. I find it inconceivable that he doesn't know the true purpose of that so-called vaccines. But what he and his team are playing, what games, I can't comment on the details. I don't work for his administration. I wish I did, but I don't. But I thank you for your question. You know, I have to ask, how many people died? How many people died because the establishment took hydroxychloroquine off the shelves? They took it off the shelves because they knew it was an effective and safe, cheap treatment, which would not put billions of dollars in the pockets of the corrupt big pharma. And it would also make Trump look like a savior to the people. Is that not murder? How is that not murder? By withholding the safe, cheap and effective treatment, it would have invalidated the need for a vaccine. Ah, oh, now we're at it, aren't we? The vaccine that's not a vaccine. The establishment committed mass murder by pushing for compliance. You know, no vaccine, no job, no travel, blah, blah, blah. In my humble opinion, OK, I'm not humble, but in my opinion, they have made criminals out of thousands of medical practitioners. Why? Because they're infecting people with something that is, number one, not the thing they say it is. And number two, for no good reason related to public health. Nuremberg trials come to mind here, people. Honestly, it blows my mind that peeps are lining up to receive this shot for something that has, what, a 99.8% recovery rate? Is that not a red flag, big red flag? It blows my mind that peeps cannot see that there can be no pandemic since there is no spike in mortality. A pandemic means you die of all the things you normally die of, and then this new thing comes in and millions more of you die. That is not happening. Why is this not a red flag? And it blows my mind that people cannot see the insanity of quarantining perfectly healthy people. Why is that not a red flag? And again, it blows my mind that people can't see through the, oh, look, it has mutated, so you need another shot. And we predict it will mutate again, and you may need another shot, and possibly another shot, and this might go on for the rest of your life until you drop dead scenario. Is that not a red flag? It blows my mind apart that peeps are still lining up to get the shots when reports of people dropping dead on the day of the shot or the day after are coming in, not to mention miscarriages, stillbirth, rashes, seizures, and all manner of dysfunction. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Has the establishment transmitted some sort of frequency beam into our heads that prevents people from seeing the color red? Or perhaps the only red flag they want us to see is the communist flag. There are many, many people in all walks of medicine who are speaking out against the so-called vaccine, which is not a vaccine. It is the mark of the beast. But they are ridiculed and censored. The establishment wants microchipped, mind-controlled automatons, not free-thinking sovereign souls. You wouldn't be censored if you were telling the truth. If what we said was so ridiculous, <clears throat> excuse me, if what we said was so ridiculous 
everybody would know it was ridiculous, but it's the truth. So they're censoring us. Time for a drinky boo. Mm. Well, anyway, people consider my mind blown. Interacting with today's world sometimes is a bit like being in a never ending acid trip, a really, really bad one and one that needs to end right away. All right, enough of that question. I'm done with it, but thank you. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to talk about the mark of a beast for a while now. So let's take another question from the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. And this one of, oh, this is from Sigrun. Sigrun has written in once in a while. Hello, Sigrun. Um, Sigrun is from Iceland, who asks, Dear Arnie, if a person takes the vaccine, oh, shit. If a person takes the vaccine, and I agree that it is a construct of evil. Can anything be done to neutralize it? What about people who are forced to take it? Isn't God greater than anything we can construct? Hmm. That's actually a really good question. Thank you for that, Sigrun. Let me think about it. OK, I've thought about it. Here's my take on it. And stay with me, please, until I complete my thought process because I'm drinking here. Um, yes, God is greater than anything we can construct. No argument from me on that point. But, and it's a rather large rotund but, free will writes the greater part of our evolution. If you, of your own free will, buy into the manufactured fear and choose to accept this demonic substance into your blood, what exactly do you expect God to make of that? Now, there's a jumping off point for prayerful contemplation, if ever there was one. The way I see it, because I, I'm dealing with this now with energy work. People are saying to me, will you do energy work on me? I've had the COVID vaccination. And it's it's I, I'm not seeing necessarily everyone who's taken <clears throat> the vaccine. It depends. The key is your fear factor. Let's remember that the people who invented this horrible substance are sociopaths who model themselves on the archangel who turned away from creator. That would be Lucifer. And without the creator's vibration to feed from, we call that unconditional love, they, the dark ones, well, they would die, wouldn't they? So they had to find a new vibration to feed from. So they created fear and terror. And the more fear and terror they create and saturate us with, the weaker we become. <clears throat> and the weaker we become, the more food they have. And the more food they have, the more their power and influence grows. And the more their power and influence grows, the more feeble-minded and pathetic excuses for humanoids we become. If someone buys into the fear, and what does that mean? It means you're not researching outside what was spewed out on the big box media. So if without doing any research whatsoever, you bought into the fear, the fear has already compromised that person's natural immunity. And now they've put this vile concoction into their body, which I believe has only one purpose, to control behavior before destroying you. Well, all bets are off as to what happens next, isn't it? But it's not going to be good. There's no way around the fact that this substance was not created to benefit public health. 
If it were, those questioning it would not be so severely censored. Red flag alert. Red flag alert. Now, Sigrun, you asked, what about people who are forced to take it? Can you define forced for me? At the moment, and this could change if peeps don't start thinking straight, but at the moment, no one in America, at least, is being dragged, kicking and screaming from their homes and forcibly injected. No one is being forced to take the jab because even the establishment know that that's not only immoral, which they don't care about, but it is illegal. But there are those who choose to take it, even though they believe it to be risky and or unnecessary from a medical standpoint, so that they can go about their business and not be inconvenienced. And I don't mean that to sound flippant. I know medical practitioners who did not want the jab, but were told they could not return to work unless they acquiesced. So they did. And I understand because their point of view is I can't help my people if I can't get into the office. I've spent years becoming a doctor. I've spent years becoming a nurse or whatever it is in the medical field. And they can't take that away from me. But no judgment on my part. We all have to make, I have opinions, but not judgment. We all have to make up our own minds. But you see, when you acquiesce to that, the bigger story is that's a win for the dark forces. No jab, no job. At least not the one you were trained for and might be good at. And what about no jab, no travel? What about no jab, no food? What about no jab, no essential services? And then perhaps no jab, no social security. And perhaps no jab, you can't rent an apartment. And there we go. They're not refusing. They're not making you take the jab. They're just saying you can't participate in society as we know it without it. If we step back from our immediate individual needs, which people have not been trained to do, and we look at the bigger picture of what is happening, you can't help but come to the conclusion, the unsettling and deeply disturbing conclusion, that as a species, we have been trained to bend the knee at the first hurdle. And may I quote David Icke here? Human race, get off your bloody knees. Look, if you've accepted this substance into your body for convenience and not from fear, which is still the wrong thing to do, but free will, blah, 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 bigger picture, I understand, then I suggest daily meditation. Align yourself with the light and breathe pure light into your being. Ask the divine to neutralize the codes contained within the mark of the beast to dissolve them and to restore you to grace and do it every single day. And on a physical level, don't laugh when I say this. Metamucil is your friend. You need a lot of insoluble fiber in your body because really low level demonic stuff the low level, it lives in your poopy and it lives in your intestines and it lives near the rectum. So get your Metamucil a couple of tablespoons a day, lots of water, good hydration, dense nutrition. And I hate to say this, please stay away from alcohol. 
because that won't do well if you've had the mark of the beast inside of you. Beyond that, my darlings, may the odds ever be in our favor. All right, let's take another question. And if this is about the vaccine, I'm not going to take it. Let's see what it is. Oh, yes. This one is from <clears throat> Omit Personal Details, who says, Dear Arnie, as surveillance continues to become more sophisticated, is the military and the intelligence service employing less intuitives as remote viewers to locate people? Also, do intuitives have other purposes in life outside intelligence? Um, <laughs> Let me, <laughs> sorry, that's a very strangely worded question, Omit. Um, let me have a drink. Mm. Yes, that is a good drink. Mm. Okay. Um, in answer to your question, yes and no. Let's start with the remote viewing, because that's what you said first. While it's true that surveillance is pretty savvy these days, those who wish to keep things hidden are also upping their savvy. Say, for example, you want to find people hidden deep underground in tunnels. We do have ground penetrating radar. It's pretty advanced and it's capable of, um, let's just call it deep geophysical analysis. But it can't necessarily detect in any detail a network of interconnecting tunnels and holding areas, especially if they've got some sort of beam, you know, um, counteracting the radar. And unless we have recently improved this technology in leaps and bounds beyond my knowledge, it can't locate people that accurately. So there's always going to be a need for remote viewers, even if the establishment get their dream and every single human being is chipped at birth with a tracking device. There will still be a need for people who can look into buildings that cannot be penetrated for whatever reason um, and you know, to report those findings. And by the way, remote viewing, it's not just for locating people and buildings. An experienced remote viewer can look into what pools of potential the future holds and even visit events in the past. I mean, none of that information, of course, is admissible in a court of law, but it is very useful intel for someone. I'll also say not all intuitives remote view and not all remote viewers consider themselves to be intuitives per se. Remote view is a specific skill, and it is only just one tool in the box. Many do confine themselves to that one skill, although surely with prolonged ongoing activity, one can't help but develop a fuller skill set. A full intuitive skill set is particularly useful for intel gathering. It can be as simple as sitting in on meetings and noting how people's auras change when they ask certain questions. Are they lying? Are they stressed? what energies are around them. Or it can be along the lines of being asked to cast your subtle sight on an item or a substance and comment on what you see. Is it light? Is it dark? Can you talk to it? Will it talk back? Can you ask it where it came from and possibly what, what purpose it thinks it serves? And I know that that sounds silly to some people, but I assure you, Everything is alive and it is entirely possible and it is a valuable skill. And then we go into mediumship and all of the other full intuitive skill sets. You know, people who have access to the subtle realms and in particular people who can correctly interpret what they see 
will always be a valuable asset to both the forces of darkness and the forces of light. You know, it was the Soviets. They knew a thing or two about developing intuitives for intelligence services and for military um, purposes. Back during the Cold War times, they were way ahead of the others. Uh, you know, we had to catch up to them. So, and they took very good care of their intuitives too. They had better bread and better mayonnaise and there was a raffle in the Soviet Union once a week for them and whoever won the raffle got an entire sausage for breakfast. Those were the days. Okay, thank you for your question. Let's take one more question before we move on to the other segments. And this is from Eric, who spells his name E-R-I-C-H. And he says, Ani, that's me. Is there a place on Earth that has a complete record of this planet's history? All the races, all the events from the beginning of time to this moment. Hmm. Okay. Eric, I've just had a little vision <laughs> of a little old man with a very long gray beard sitting in a hidden room in a long forgotten temple in a land far, far away, scribbling like the fury on a never ending roll of parchment. Um, if there is such a place on the physical realm that is physically continually updated, I don't know about it. I suspect we have to access this information from the Hall of Records, the Akashic Records. But then again, I could be wrong. I seem to remember a meditation I did many moons ago when I asked Mother Earth if active civilizations existed deep within her, you know, under her crust. Mother Earth gave me a cheeky little smile and said, why don't you go in and see what you can find? So I did. And guess what? We are not alone. And who is to say that deep within her belly, she doesn't have her own branch of the Akashic Library? From time to time, I do like to revisit her belly. And I do so through my Earth Star Chakra. Anything I can access in the Hall of Records, which is located in the upper dimensions, I can also access through my Earth Star Chakra from Earth, locked way beneath my feet, warm in Mother Earth's love. It's the exact same information, but the feeling is very different. When I receive the information through Mother Earth, I feel the love she has shared with all the races who lived upon her and within her. I feel her earnest desire to see us reach our God-given potential. And I feel her heart racing with joy when we've succeeded. And I feel her sadness and disappointment when we've succumbed to the darkness. It is a beautiful experience. Oh, and those races under the crust, not all can be described as physical, not as we would understand it. Well, that's a lovely question, Eric, and a lovely memory, and I thank you for that. And we have a couple of postcards here in the uh, fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. I think um, I'll just read those real quick and get them out the way. And they are from Omit Personal Details. And one of them says, Ani, I find your speech impediment annoying. Is there anything you can do about it? <laughs> um... 
perhaps you'd like to send me another postcard and tell me what my speech impediment is, because uh, I'm not sure I know what it is. Uh, as far as I know, I don't have a speech impediment. So uh, let me know. I'd love to know. Uh, I I would hate to think that people are listening to me and being annoyed by this mysterious impediment. And then there's another postcard here uh, that doesn't, it's not signed, but it is uh, from Nevada, from Reno. Um, and it says, Arnie, you really shouldn't bully people. Let people make up their own minds. Darling, I'm not a bully. I'm actually quite sweet and gentle and fluffy and loving, as one would expect from a shaman. I am, however, direct, and I don't like BS. And if you come to me and I see that you're going to die in six months, I'm going to let you know and ask you if you want to die or if you want to do something about it. I'm a little bit direct, but I'm not a bully. Fauci is a bully. Bill Gates is a bully. Trump is not a bully. He's someone who's direct. So uh, I'm just thank you for the postcard. I'm going to throw that one away. All right. Bye bye postcard. I think we leave it there with the questions and answers because people do get upset with me if I miss tarot. A go go. Yes, folks, a little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck. Now, mine is currently the Robin Wood deck, although I must say there are some pretty groovy new decks out there. And I predict a shopping trip in my future. Last week, what did we talk about? Or was it every two weeks we do this? The last time we did this show. Ah, yes, it's coming back to me now. It's the Three of Swords. And that is a card that sends shivers down people's spines. But don't worry, because we did that last time. This week's card is the Three of Pentacles. And that is a happy card because we all love cards with big gold coins on them. Yes, we do. So let's take a look at this card. I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to see what it looks like, or what it says to me. I'm going to hold it in the upright position first, as I always do. There's a chap and he is literally carving something out. And he's got three coins that he has carved, and now he's carving some feathers. You know what this represents, people? This guy is quite literally making money. He is using his talents, and that's how he gets his coins. And he's well into the project, but um, he hasn't completely accomplished it yet. So he's sort of at the, at the early stages of it, or he's halfway through it. Um, he's a master. He's not an apprentice. He's definitely a master or at least a very experienced journeyman. He's very competent. And this represents really putting your heart and soul into the project. And the reason I say job, job, job all the time is that pentacles are associated with money. Um, so it's the practical, you know, the result of all of your efforts. So this chap, he's a bit of a craftsman, lots of expertise. He likes to do things the right way. I get the idea he's not going to rush through a job. And that's always a good thing. He definitely job satisfaction here, attention to detail. 
things are going well for this chap. If you pick this card, and especially if it's about prosperity or how a project is going, I would say things are getting better for you. Definitely, there's improvement in the work and in the conditions of work. Um, I also get the, you know, the impression with this card of fraternal organizations, maybe guilds. Do we still have artisanal guilds? I think we do. Uh, you're going to get paid for this job. You're going to get paid well. Yes. This is a chap who really enjoys the work, enjoys the hard work, wants to do everything properly. Um, it's good development. If you've taken on a project, it's going to go well. And it applies to many things, too. For example, say you weren't able to work because of your health. Your health will improve. Anything that involves you making a living is going to improve. It's a good opportunity to earn more money. You're being noticed, I think, for your status as a professional. There's recognition there. Perhaps for some people, this might mean a promotion. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to be an artisan, uh, you know, working with their hands. But definitely your work is being, gosh, that's a really good cocktail. Definitely your work is being appreciated. Um, so there you go. That's lovely. You know, hard work, diligence, focus, almost perfectionist, but uh, that's never too much of a good thing. Now. Let's turn this card upside down reversed and see what it feels like. Ah, hmm. Well, it's lost its luster. So I suppose that makes it lackluster, doesn't it? Uh, dissatisfaction, I guess. Perhaps some problems at work. Um, your efforts didn't pay off. Maybe you didn't plan properly. I get the feeling it's a bit half-hearted, the effort. Um, perhaps you didn't pick up on the opportunities. Uh, perhaps you didn't get the funding that you wanted. Perhaps you resent doing this job because you're overqualified and therefore you're not really respecting the people around you and you're not doing the job properly. I would say when I look at this card reversed, I'm going to review the situation. I'm going to ask myself why I'm unhappy. I'm going to make a really good practical list of what went wrong and then figure out why. And I'm going to be as objective as possible with this. And if it's time to remove myself from the project, I will. But if I can't extricate myself from the position, then I'm going to have to re regroup um, and perhaps get some better colleagues or perhaps do better myself. Um, when it's upside down, it's almost as if you're back to being apprentice and relying on somebody else to give you the direction. And now I flip it back to its original upright position. And once again, I'm the master. I'm the master. And it feels really, really good. So there we are, the three of pentacles. Very, very nice. Very nice indeed. So just a little reminder that your tarot cards are something that you will play with for the rest of your life. You don't just buy the deck and then open the spreads as shown in the book and then go to the book to realize, oh, this means this, this means that. You want to develop a relationship with your cards. You want to sleep with them, literally sleep with them. 
Put them under your pillow for 33 days and play with them every day. Shuffle them for 10, 15 minutes every single day. Really get to know them. Put your vibration on them. It's not a game and it's not necessarily a tool for divination, but what it is, it's a companion in developing your intuition. And I'm starting up some tarot classes very shortly. If you're interested in that, I'm going to give away 10 or 15 of them at rock bottom prices. So send me an email and you can get some personalized tuition for a ridiculous price. All right. What shall we do now? Oh, yes. I've got a note here on one of my shows. I forgot to play the kazoo and it annoyed people who like the kazoo. So. And this is my very expensive sound effect. I think it's time for a little pat of poetry, a little touch of humor. And normally I would share some of my own original, really bad poetry with you. But I'm not going to today because I was looking through some of my poetry books, trying to find something that might, you know, have to do with martinis, which I'm going to have a little sip right now. And I found something by Ogden Nash. Ogden Nash, 1902-1971. Um, I would say just an absolutely fabulous humorist who wrote very short, somewhat pithy poems. Uh, and he's very respected in the world of American literature. He's really quite a treasure. He writes for children mainly, but I suspect that this one which is about alcohol, is for grown-ups. So here is Ogden Nash, and I think it's called There is Something About a Martini. There is something about a martini, a tingle remarkably pleasant, a yellow, a mellow martini. I wish I had one at present. There is something about a martini, ere the dining and dancing begin, and to tell you the truth, it's not the vermouth. I think that perhaps it's the gin. Now there's something about an old fashioned that kindles a cardiac glow. It is soothing and soft and impassioned as a lyric by Swinburne or Poe. There is something about an old fashioned when dusk has enveloped the sky and it may be the ice or the pineapple slice, but I strongly suspect it's the rye. There is something about a mint julep. It is nectar imbibed in a dream, as fresh as the bud of the tulip, as cool as the bed of the stream. Oh, there is something about a mint julep, a fragrance beloved by the lucky, and perhaps it's the tint or the frost in the mint but I think it was born in Kentucky. There is something they put in a highball that awakens the torpidest brain, that kindles a spark in the eyeball, gliding singing through vein after vein. There is something they put in a highball, which you'll notice one day if you watch. And it may be the soda, but judged by the odour, I rather believe it's the scotch. Then here's to the heartening wassail 
wherever good fellows are found. Be its master instead of its vassal, and order the glasses around. For there's something they put in the wassail that prevents it from tasting like wicker. Since it's not tapioca, or mustard, or mocha, I'm forced to conclude it's the liquor. <laughs> that is rather fun, don't you think? I really enjoyed that. That was from Ogden Nash. Um, go look up his poetry. He's hysterically funny. Very, very clever. So I hope you enjoyed that. And I'm going to enjoy another little sip of my cocktail now. Mm. I research these cocktails, my darlings, for you. I don't do it for my own benefit. I want to bring you something different every week, something you can aspire to. So you've got these nice recipes. So when your friends come over, you don't just give them a beer. You can say, oh, let me mix you the perfect old fashioned or the perfect highball or whatever. I do this for you and I do it with love. All right. What is our next little um, section now? Ah, yes, I think it is historical tidbits. Some weird, some feared and some revered. And I present this segment for our amusement and for our edification. So I like trivia. I just like to route around and find little weird bits of history throughout the ages. Anything strange, anything unusual um, and just bring it to you. Because I, I started doing this when I was a schoolgirl. I suffered a little bit from autism when I was younger. And I found it very difficult to take to have a social conversation with people, mainly because I have to be honest, I wasn't really interested at that time in anyone except me. And conversation was hard. I've, I've changed over the years. Of course, I've matured. So I went ahead and I learned all sorts of obscure and what I thought were amusing facts about the world so that if conversations became strained, I'd be able to say, did you know what happened in 1502? You know, so that, that's where this all came from. All right, so I was reading a book about Ben Franklin. Every American knows about Ben Franklin. And I found a picture of the first US official coin in circulation called the Fugio Cent. And it was designed by Ben Franklin. And it has the insignia on it that says, mind your business. <laughs> um, you know, these days it says, in God we trust. And so on the front, it says, mind your business. And there's a sundial and a sun, you know, pouring down. And on the back, on the other side, it had 13 chain rings. And that, of course, represents the original 13 states. So it was minted 1787. It's also known as the Franklin cent, the first official coin of the United States. And fugio, of course, uh, is the Latin word referring to time. Time flies, tempus fugit. And it is you know, represented by that light shining down on the sundial. And when Franklin minted this and wrote, mind your business, he didn't mean mind your own business. He meant something along the lines of time has a habit of slipping into the future. So pay attention to your affairs. So there we are. I bet if anybody has one of those, it's probably worth a small fortune. All right. Um, next little tidbit. I was I have a thing for Vikings, you know, not that kind of thing. But, you know, I just have a thing for Vikings. I grew up in England. They invaded. They raided. We gave them money to go away. 
they took the money, they came back. So I was looking um, into some Danish history, and I found something rather modern, actually, moving on from, from, from the Vikings. In the early 20th century, apparently Danes living under Prussian rule were banned from displaying the Danish flag. And as a protest, they bred their pigs with a red and white color pattern similar to their flag. And this breed, it still exists to the best of my knowledge, and it is called the Danish protest pig. So that was interesting. I didn't know that you could, I know you can breed animals, breed certain traits in and out, but I didn't know you could turn them into flags. Back in the 19th century, Denmark and Prussia, uh, well, they, they had problems with their border. They were land hungry. They couldn't decide where the border was going to be. So guess what? Rather than have a nice civil discussion, they went to war. Denmark won. And I believe in, initially they claimed more land, but over time the Prussians got really pissed off with them and took it back. And then they started to be rather nasty, the Prussians, and they suppressed all things Danish. Like, for example, raising their own country's flag. That would be terrible. So they bred the pig and everywhere they went, there was a pig with the Danish flag on it. Isn't that interesting? A little bit of crafty cross breeding from Danish farmers under Prussian rule. What else did I find? I was researching some um, famous police busts over the years and I started getting into heroin hordes and cannabis hordes and all sorts of things. And I don't know how this happened, but you know how you search things. Search engines take you from one place to the other, and then you go and you find the book, and that takes you on a whole other rabbit hole. But I ended up in 1986 and the search to recover debris from the Challenger disaster. So apparently people went down to the Atlantic floor looking for the debris from the Challenger. That was really, that was heartbreaking for, for, for all of us. Um, but in addition to finding some of the debris, they found 13 shipwrecks, two lost airplanes, and 25 kilos of cocaine. That's how we got onto the cocaine thing. And the cocaine's estimated worth on the street. Here's the first. It was enough to cover the cost of the entire salvage operation. Now, as I read this, I go, well, did they take it to the street and sell it? I don't think NASA would have done that. Um, I, I don't know how they got the money, but they sold the cocaine and they paid for this entire operation. Um, and a, this was what, $125,000 per day for this kind of salvage and search operation? Very, very uh, expensive. So I'm reading that it was about $30 million occasion. You know, that was the total tab. So that's a lot of cocaine, a lot of cocaine. That was very interesting. So um, and I'm reading here, after being turned over to the Coast Guard, its street value was reported to be about $13 million, just enough to pay for the entire U.S. Navy, Navy effort. So congratulations. That was lovely. And staying on the nautical theme, 
Caligula, the emperor, the ancient Roman emperor that everybody loves to hate. He was a strange one. But he was very upset about this prophecy that said, and who was it? Who was it? It was um, Thrasyllus of Mendes, who was Tiberius's soothsayer, predicted that Caligula had no more chance of becoming emperor than of riding a horse across the Bay of Bai, which is a place. <laughs> it's a bay. So Caligula became emperor and he ordered floating bridges to be built using ships as pontoons. This was back in 39 AD. And they stretched over two miles long. They went across this particular bay. Um, so he rode his favorite horse across that bay while wearing a breastplate that they say belonged to Alexander the Great. And this was his act of uh, direct defiance to the oracle, to uh, Thrasyllus of Mendes, who predicted that this would never happen and that uh, Caligula would never become an emperor. And what's interesting is that some of these ships, they were recovered from the bottom of, uh, of, of the lake, that bay lake, around 1930. And what a wonderful discovery, Caligula's ships. But guess what? They were destroyed in the attacks following the Second World War. So now it's lost to us which is very sad. But there you are. If you have unlimited money and you're the emperor of Rome and you're completely mad, you can blow it all on, um, on telling your soothsayer that he's full of rubbish. How interesting. You'd think they'd have other things to do. All right, so that's Caligula. Uh, did you know that William Tuft was the last U.S. president with facial hair. Isn't that fascinating? Are we not better people for knowing that? Here's one I think we will enjoy. Betty White, God bless her, is literally older than sliced bread. <laughs> and you're twice as likely to be killed by a vending machine as by a shark. I have to really think about this one because how on earth are you killed by a vending machine? You know, I'm having these visions of science fiction movies where, you know, this guy comes out and it's the dead of night and he pulls into this rest stop in the middle of nowhere and he's hungry and thirsty and he finds a vending machine and he puts money in and the vending machine comes to life and kills him. I, I don't know. But apparently this is true, an actual statistic. You are twice as likely to be killed by a vending machine as by a shark. Well, that was fascinating. Now, I've got one other little tiny tidbit for you. you know, people are always telling me that having a pet is something new and that back in the day, all animals were livestock and nobody had pets. Well, that's not true. There are epitaphs for pets all over the world, all over and throughout history. But specifically in ancient Rome, um, little dogs, they were, they were beloved. Family members loved them. And they wrote little poems to them. And he, here's one. 
I am in tears while carrying you to your last rest place as much as I enjoyed when bringing you home in my own hands 15 years ago. Isn't that sweet? Oh, here's another one. My eyes were wet with tears, our little dog, when I bore thee to the grave. We may never meet again, but I send you 1,000 kisses. Mankind has always loved their animals, our little pets, our little friends. All right, my darlings, let's take a look at the time and let's have a little sip of this drinky poo. Mm, it is so good. Ah, oh, I'm at the end of this drink. What does that mean? I think we're coming close to saying that's it for today. I'm finishing up my drink, and that means the end of the show. Not quite, but almost. I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it, because I had a blast. It is my pleasure to connect with people who stand in their truth and tell Big Brother to take a flying leap at a rolling donut. And to celebrate the imminent downfall of secret societies and all things Luciferian, Today's cocktail is the Harvard cocktail, and this is how you make it. Take three ounces of really good brandy, one ounce of Italian vermouth, three dashes of Angostura bitters, a little tiny bit of simple syrup, and some club soda. You take everything except the club soda, and you stir it with ice, strain it into a chilled cocktail glass, then add a splash of soda, Garnish with an orange twist and you drink it. And I must say, it's very tasty. Now, remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. And I always take that advice. Folks, listen, before I sign off, there is a great deal going on behind the scenes but don't buy into all these people left, right and center who tell you on their videos what the military and the white hats are up to in detail, because clearly if they know, then the black hats know. So please, it's all conjecture. It's all psyops on both sides. It's an information war. Misinformation is the weapon. These globalist communist Luciferians who have been given total access to America by the deep state franchise within the Democratic Party are not going to give up ever. It's not their way. We must accept that. We will never, ever hunt them all down and eradicate them all. But we will win this war. By the way, we don't really have to hunt them down anymore, do we? They hide in plain view. They're the ones who say it's okay to rape, torture and murder Uyghurs. They're the ones who say it's okay for the state to take your five-year-old from you and fill him or her with hormone blockers before mutilating its genitalia. They're the ones who want to bomb the near in the Middle East after four years of no war and dedicated peacemaking. They're the ones who bail out domestic terrorists and encourage them to commit more acts of violence. They are the ones who promote division by polluting the minds of the young, the vulnerable and the impressionable with their ridiculous concept of political correctness. They are the ones who see this planet as their private company, you and me as their slave labor force, and all planetary resources as their inventory. They are the ones who have convinced a great many of you that health means restricting your breathing, staying indoors, away from life-giving sunshine. They are the ones telling you to... Ooh, what did they say? You know what they said? I tell you what they said. They're the ones telling you access to food is not a right but a privilege. 
given only to those who bend the knee and cover their faces. They are the ones restricting your right to travel unless you take the expensive test to see if you have the thing that is not the thing that they say it is and take the jab, which they call an inoculation, but it is in fact the mark of the beast. Folks, it is their dark agenda. And if this dark agenda were any more obvious, it would roll itself into a tube and insert itself without consent because the black hats, they don't care about our consent. Our consent is not required. They think of us as livestock, not as sovereign beings. And I have to say, many out there are reinforcing this concept for them. Do not bend the knee at the first hurdle. You are telling them how far they can go and how horribly they can treat you with no pushback. Your acquiescence guarantees your obsolescence. On physical realms, freedom is a choice. Make the correct choice or lose your voice for the foreseeable future. And on that very important but somewhat heavy note, I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Music